invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to be looking specifically this morning at verses 15 through 21. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 21, Paul is uh, in, in this part of the letter where he's talking about what it means now to live in light of the gospel, uh, uh, to live as children of God. Uh, he's just in verse 14 said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, then, uh, and Christ will shine upon you. And uh, now in verse 15, he's going to continue on to explain what a spirit-filled life looks like. And that's what we'll be giving our attention to this morning, uh, the spirit-filled life. Let's look at First, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 21. This is God's Word. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Spirit, uh, you have inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words, and we ask that you would now open our minds and hearts to receive them. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are able to wake us up from our sleep and you are able to make us wise unto salvation through the word. And I pray, Lord, that today we would have the joy of experiencing that in our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said this morning, we're looking at the spirit-filled life as Paul talks about it here. I have to confess that I think the first time I really uh, heard about the spirit-filled life was after college when I was uh, attending for a short while, um, uh, worshiping there with the Charismatics at First Assembly of God. Now, of course, I grew up at Coopersville Christian Reformed Church, and we recited the Apostles' Creed every single Sunday night, and uh, we confessed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I did believe in the Holy Spirit. But I wasn't familiar with uh, the phrase, a spirit-filled life, particularly uh, the way that my new friends were talking about it, uh, because they talked about the spirit-filled life as something that happens to you. Uh, they talked about a second blessing where you could be a Christian, uh, but you, would be, you could be a carnal Christian, a Christian not yet under the reign of the Holy Spirit, and, and uh, you needed to ask for a second blessing where the Spirit then would come in a dramatic way, usually accompanied by um, speaking in tongues. There are others who insisted that it, it always had to be accompanied by speaking in tongues. Um, but there was, it also was accompanied by a deep assurance of faith and a boldness in witness. Well, um, the, the second blessing or the filling of the Holy Spirit was seen then as, as essential uh, to living a joyful, fruitful, God-honoring Christian life. Well, uh, as I've continued, uh, as, I, as I hung around and listened and opened my Bible, I came to believe that I don't think there is a second blessing uh, in, in Scripture. Um, I, don't, I don't believe that speaking in tongues is, uh, is for today. I don't think it's a necessary sign of the Spirit today. But I have to say that there's a lot I liked about uh, the way that they thought about the Christian life. I, I really uh, appreciated their conviction that the Christian life uh, needs the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is, is 
just absolutely necessary if you're going to live a Christian life. And their conviction that if the Holy Spirit is in you, there will be evidences. Or there at least ought to be evidences. So that if you were a genuine Christian, the Spirit within you should be manifest. Uh, there, there, should be, there should be evidences that others could say, wow, that person has been changed. Uh, Ian Hamilton, uh, speaking about this section of Paul's letter, says that from 417 on, Paul has described the shape and style of the life that is pleasing to God. This new life is the practical evidence of our new birth by the Spirit of Christ. Where this new life is absent, the Spirit of Christ cannot be present because new birth produces new life. And I think that's an important lesson for us that, that we have here in Paul's letter, that, that the Christian life is a Spirit-filled life, and the Spirit-filled life will be evidenced by a walk, a manner, a way of life. And Paul outlines this Spirit-filled life by way of a stark contrast when he talks about a, a man who is under the influence of alcohol and a man who is under the influence of the Spirit, right? So the first man's life, uh, both men's life are controlled by a life-altering power in a sense. One man, uh, that power is alcohol, wine. That's um, a foreign substance in his body that, that impacts his life dramatically. He doesn't act the same. He doesn't talk the same. Um, when, he's a, when he's drunk, when he's under the influence of drugs, you could say, he's a completely different person. And the evidence, Paul will say, of, of that man's filling is debauchery. He says things he would never otherwise say. He lose, he's lost his inhibitions. He's lost his common sense. And so he does foolish and sinful things, things that, he, that he's ashamed about when he comes to his senses. And so alcohol is, and drugs, right, and are truly life-altering sources. They, they change our life in devastating ways. And on the other hand, Paul wants us to see a man or a woman who's also under the influence of a life-altering power. Uh, but this man or woman is not under the influence of a foreign physical substance, but a foreign spiritual substance, the Spirit of God. And once again, the results are obvious. Uh, you, you, people around will say they're a totally different person. They, um, the Spirit of God within them is, is compelling them to do things that they never would have done before, like, like read their Bible and get in a, in a, in a Bible study and, and pray and confess their sins and begin to make amends, uh, to strive for holiness. It's just, it's just a, it's a new person. And the reason that person is doing these things is simply because the Holy Spirit has taken hold. They're under the influence of the Spirit. And in our text this morning, Paul is explaining then the characteristics and the evidences of a Spirit-filled life. Let's look first then, verses 15 and 16, that the Spirit-filled life is a life of wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Uh, if uh, a historian looks back on the American church uh, somewhere in the future, um, a man who understands the Word of God, uh, I think that person will, will conclude quite quickly that the American church was not looking very carefully as to how they walked. That the American church looks very much like the culture uh, in which they lived. 
Uh, there's not a lot of attention being paid to the things that, uh, that please God. A lot of attention being paid to the things that, that, that the world around us pays attention to. Well, wisdom, Paul says, and, and the Bible says in general, wisdom is the art of living a life that's pleasing to God, a life that is in line with who God is, a life that is in keeping with what God has called us to be, His holy people. So wisdom is, is what that looks like, the skill of living that way. Um, you see, God, God created us to live in the light of His truth, in the joy of His presence. Uh, God created us to live in the, the peace of His, of His love, to experience these things in truth. And wisdom is, is a life along than those paths. The truth of God, the, the, the reality of God, the, the grace of God, even the judgment of God. Wisdom is, is how we walk in, in, in ways that are in line with who God is. We tend to be thoughtful about lots of different things. Some of us are very thoughtful about our health. Some of us pay a lot of time thinking about our work or our family. Some of us spend a lot of time thinking about our reputation or our home. All of those are are fine things to think about, but when the Spirit of God takes hold of your life, you're going to begin to pay attention to your Christian walk. And maybe you've been born and raised in the church, and church is just kind of what you did and maybe you, you, you prayed before meals as just sort of a habit, a pattern. And, may, and maybe there were other things that were, it, it's just a pattern that you grew into and have been following, but not really thinking about or paying attention to. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life, suddenly um, you're going to be thinking differently about your life and about what it means to be a Christian. I, uh, I received a wonderful email um, just maybe two weeks ago now, from a young man who uh, the Holy Spirit has just gotten a hold of him, born and raised in the church, but he is, is, is now suddenly wonderfully thoughtful about his Christian walk. And so he asked me to recommend some books for him on how to, uh, how to have a Christian marriage and how to be a Christian, a godly parent, and, and how to be a godly man, uh, and any other books I could recommend about just growing in uh, the Christian life. Well, how did that happen? Why this new interest in these things? And the answer is because the Spirit of God has gotten a hold of him. There's no other explanation. There's no class right, you can teach that, that makes this happen in a person's heart. This is purely and simply the work of the Holy Spirit. And people now begin to pay attention to their thought life and their financial life and their church life and devotional life and prayer life because, because something within them is compelling them to desire to live for the glory of God. Something, something within them compels them to live in line with the, the truth of the gospel. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, why does the Holy Spirit want us to pay attention to our walk? Well, Paul says, uh, so that we might make the best use of the time because the days are evil. A spirit-filled man or woman has a sense of where we live that this world is not a friend to grace to help us on to God. Uh, that, that, the, that the world around us and our own sinful flesh is still evil. And, uh, and we desperately need the help of God. And we need the Spirit of God to make us wise in these evil days. Uh, the Spirit will give you a, a keen sense, and this will grow as you mature in the faith, but a keen sense that you have one life to live 
for the glory of God in these, in these uh, evil days. One life to live. You don't get another. You don't get a second chance. You don't get a redo. Just one. And, and, and you'll have a sense of just concern. How do I live this life in a way that matters? If you see people are living their life without a care in the world, nothing really matters. Nothing really gets a hold of them. Nothing gets their attention. Nothing really concerns them. Nothing breaks their heart. Well, that, that, that's just a person that's dead asleep, right? They're, they're fast asleep. But when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll find a person who has a, a, a new clarity of vision. This stuff matters. I've got one life to live for the glory of God, and that's it. And I've got one life I can waste and, and, and then endure that waste for all of eternity. This matters. And so the child who, of God who's been filled with the Spirit will be thinking about it. How can I use this life? And how can I use my money? How can I use my time? How can I use my gifts, my abilities, my families? How do I, my family, how do I do that all in light of the glory of God, in light of the truth of the gospel, in light of what Jesus Christ has done for me and called me to be? Make the use best, make use of the time. The, the word here in the Greek is redeem the time, Paul is saying. Redeem it. Take it and use it for, for uh, the, the purposes that God intended it for. It's a good word for us because we live in a culture that has perfected the art of wasting time. Have you ever started looking at a YouTube video, just one, and then an hour later realized that you just wasted an hour? You got into your social media platform and time just flew by and uh, now, you know, an hour and a half has passed or, or the whole night has passed. Ever done that? Yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever done that and then at the end of it you know uh, closed the computer or, or the iPad and said wow I feel so satisfied I feel so fulfilled right now no you haven't <laughs> why not because the spirit within you is grieved at, at such a waste of time you weren't made to just be, you know, this little thing at the end of the string that somebody, you know, in, 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 at Facebook or whatever is, is pulling and just, right? It's created to make you into this helpless little uh, dog just chasing after the bone. And you weren't made for that. The Spirit of God within you is grieving that wasted time. Wasted opportunity. Where you could have actually maybe had a conversation with your wife or with your kids. Maybe you could have read a good book that would have, would have uh, built you up in the faith. Or just a good book that would have given you a better understanding of the world in which you live. Whatever it might be. No, we're not satisfied by that. We're, we're, we weren't made for that. The Spirit of God within us is telling us so. The Bible calls us to wake up, to be wise. Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, help us to understand this life is a mist, it's a vapor. And Paul says, therefore, because of the reality of, of, what this, uh, of the fleeting nature of life, because of the reality of, of the time that, that God has given to us, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's just calling us to be intentional of understanding what the will of the Lord is. What does God want for you? What does he want from you? Do you know? Well, how would you know? He's given you a book. 
which is able to make you wise to salvation. A book that is uniquely designed for teaching and correcting and rebuke and, 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 rebuke and training in righteousness. The Spirit, you see, will always direct your attention to the Word every time. Any place you see people talking a lot about the Holy Spirit and not very much about the Bible, something's not right. The Spirit will always, He wrote it. And He's going to use the Word to make you wise unto salvation, to make, you, uh, to make you wise and so that you know what God's will is. He's going to bring you to verses like 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, that says, this is the will of God for you. That, that's helpful. Your sanctification. That's what it says. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you be growing by, through the Word and by the Spirit, that you be growing in Christ-likeness. That's God's will for us. And Paul just calls us to wake up to it. To open, open our Bible and, and, and then ask questions. How, do, how is this going to change and impact the way I think, the way I spend my time, the way I spend my money, the way I interact with my friends at school? What does God have to say to me about those things? Paul is calling us to be wise, and the wisdom that the Spirit gives is the wisdom that's going to come through His Word. Paul then goes on to direct our attention to the the wonderful necessity of this, of this spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Uh, Paul's readers would be well aware of the uh, influence of alcohol. Uh, Dionysius was the god of wine, uh, a favorite of the masses, and the uh, Dionysian festivals were, were just drunken brawls. I mean, there was a time for people to imbibe the gods uh, by, by drinking lots of wine, and the, all the drunkenness and debauchery then that that followed after that. And so they have a pretty clear vision in their mind uh, what that uh, means, what that lifestyle looks like. And Paul is calling them to, to something so wonderfully different. There's this, he, I just love how he has this beautiful contrast to help us understand what he's talking about uh, between the, the life under the influence of alcohol and the life under the influence of the Spirit. Uh, alcohol, of course, is a depressant, isn't it? It dulls your mind. It slows your reflexes. It uh, it, it finally makes you fall asleep. The Holy Spirit is exactly the opposite. The Holy Spirit enlivens your mind. The Holy Spirit gives you spiritual instincts and spiritual reflexes. It, he wakes you up. And you, you are suddenly becoming just tied in, clued in, aware of the reality of God. Do you realize it's possible to go your whole life through church and not be awake to the reality of God so that, that there's no authentic worship, there's no deep grief over sin, there's no hungering after His ways. You, you believe, quote unquote, in God. You're just not awake to Him. Well, the Spirit wakes, wakes us up. The Spirit makes you aware of what it means that God is holy. It makes uh, what it means that God is just, that God is good, that He speaks truth. Those aren't just doctrines that you, that you profess, but they become things that you taste, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in them. That's what happens when the Spirit comes. 
And when drunkenness, while drunkenness blurs your vision and clouds your mind, the Holy Spirit then gives you this incredible clarity of vision, and uh, you, you realize what a fool you've been living for yourself. Have you, have you woken up to that yet? How foolish it is to live for yourself, to spend your life trying to serve yourself? The utter folly of it? The Spirit gives you that understanding, and you realize the new joy of obedience you used to think that obedience was hard and drudgery, and, and, and now you realize obedience is freedom. Obedience is, is you walking through the Red Sea, that the waters have been parted by the power of God, and He's leading you out of the bondage of your sin and yourself into the freedom of being the child of God. That's what obedience looks like. That's what obedience feels like. That's why the Bible talks about running in the paths of obedience. That's what happens when the Spirit comes. And you begin to hate your sin with a new clarity, a new, new venom. You despise your sin. And you love Jesus who died for your sin with a new zeal. And you understand what you're here for, what life is about. And your hunger for spiritual truth, to feed on them and delight in them. That's what happens by the power of the Spirit. So, how do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, uh, we could easily be misled here thinking that the Spirit is, is, is sort of like gasoline, right? You just go to, the, go to the station and you put it in, you hit the nozzle, and, and, and uh, you, you get a few gallons. Uh, and so you go to church and you sort of get filled, you know, you get poured in a few, a few more pounds of Holy Spirit. It doesn't work like that. It's not a, he's not a substance. He's a person. And the fact is that when you became a Christian, you received the whole Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit, not a little part of the Spirit. So when Paul is talking about being filled with the Spirit, what he's talking about is just coming under the control of the Spirit, gladly submitting to the influence of the Spirit, embracing uh, the, the Spirit's control, so that now you're living by the power of the Spirit, and you're seeking to be led by the Spirit. Remember what Paul says in Romans 8, 14, that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. That's how you can tell. The children of God are seeking to be led by the Spirit of God. And what would that look like? Well, it would look like prayer. It would look like opening your Bible and, and reading it. Lead me, Lord. Lead me in your righteousness. Make your way plain before my face. That's, that's what it looks like. I want to honor you today. I want to honor you in my marriage. I want to honor you as a, as a parent. And, and it's hard. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how to do it. Boys and girls, it would look like praying, um, God, I want to honor mom and dad. I want to be a godly uh, person at school, and I'm not sure how to do it. Spirit, would you lead me? It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. It's a perfect prayer. You see, Christians aren't just people who believe in certain things and do certain things. People, Christians are people who are experiencing the influence of the Holy Spirit. I do think that the Charismatics had a, had a point when they talked about uh, sort of the frozen chosen, uh, people who believed lots of things, but where was the joy? Where was the, where, was the, where was the spirit? Now, there's things that they got wrong, but there were things they got right too. A biblical Christianity is an experience of the reality of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Well, what will that look like? Paul gives us three evidences, and we'll quickly hit those 
Three evidences of the Spirit's influence. What will, what will happen in your life? Paul just gives three. There's others we could list. Heartfelt worship is one. Pervasive gratitude is another. And mutual submission is a third. Paul writes, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's an interesting thing to say. If, if you were to ask, what does a real Christian look like? I, I don't know if, if uh, the first thing that would come to your mind is, well, they sing. But do you realize that's one of the marks of a true Christian? I, I read an article uh, several years ago uh, written by an atheist where he asked the question, why do Christians sing? Because he didn't know. He had gone to a, a, a wedding and, uh, and, and, and people were singing. Then he'd been at a church service. Same thing. People were singing. What's going on? Why, why are they singing? And why do they do it all together like that? Do you realize that there's no other religion in the world that does this? Uh, there, are, there are very few religions that gather congregations, but those who do, usually you have the priest up there doing his thing, or maybe they're chanting a prayer, um, but there's not congregational singing. You don't have hymn books. It is unique to Christianity. Now, how did that happen? Did one of the apostles say, guys, I think we need a songbook. I just think that would help right, with the worship service. That's not how it happened. The Spirit makes it happen. This is something that the Spirit does. And so you'll read in the Old Testament that when, you know, Miriam was, the, the Spirit sort of comes on her and she begins to sing the song of deliverance after God led Israel through the Red Sea. Singing is what the Spirit creates in the, in the lives and hearts of God's people, where they begin to, to tell each other about the greatness of God, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You see, we're, we're reveling in that truth, and we're speaking that truth to one another. And we're doing it from the bottom of our heart. So Paul will say, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. With your heart. When the Spirit is present, the singing of the church will be vibrant. It'll be passionate. It'll be heartfelt. It'll be, it'll be truly meant. Because the Spirit, you see, does that. Where we, we can't help but rejoice in the things that we sing. And, and, we, and we rejoice in singing it together. Isn't it wonderful to just get together with God's people and, and, and talk to each other, speak to each other about the marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Or, or how when peace like a river attends my way, and when sorrows like sea billows roll, or, or reminding each other that he will hold us fast. See, when we, when we sing those words, when we sing those truths, why are we so moved? Because the Spirit is there. The Spirit is moving us to sing, and we're experiencing the wonderful influence of the Spirit. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so a, a church that's under the influence of the Holy Spirit will be a church that sings. And people that are under the influence of the Holy Spirit will be people who, who, who sing in their heart and, and, and in their mind. In the, when you're in the car, when you're in the shower, when you go to bed, when you wake up in the morning, you'll just find songs coming by the power of the Spirit. Another sign will be pervasive gratitude, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what one of the primary evidences of an, an addict is? One of the primary evidences of an addict of any sort is complaining. Drunks are almost never thankful. Uh, there's almost always a litany of grievances. 
things that have been done to them, the world's not fair. Uh, people who complain are people who have a tendency towards addiction. But a person you see filled with the Spirit is, moves exactly in the opposite direction. A person filled with the Spirit uh, is a person who will be moved with ever-deepening gratitude. Gratitude to God. Thank you, Lord, for a, such a beautiful day. And, and, and if you're really spiritual, you can say that even in, like, March. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Right? I know the sun is there somewhere. I thank you that it's out there and doing its thing. But there'll be genuine gratitude. I have to say, my wife is really good at this. And so I'll have some complaint and thankfulness. It's a wonderful trait. It ought, to, it, ought to be, it ought to mark our life. Gratitude. Giving thanks always and for everything. Always and for everything. There, there, there are reasons to give thanks in every circumstance, every situation, and the Spirit within you will be moving you to do that. And, and let me just ask you, when you do that, when you say, thank you, Lord, does it feel like the right thing to do? Of course it does. Do you feel the pleasure of God when you do it, when you embrace gratitude, even in the trials? God, I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you for the people who care about me. The spirit within you, you see, is going to move you to gratitude, and, and you're going to know that this is pleasing to God. And then finally, mutual submission, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're going to deal with this more uh, next week, Lord willing, but just, just let me point that when the spirit is, is within you, you're going to find a willingness to submit yourself. We do not do it naturally. We resist authority by nature. We want to be our own boss. When the spirit comes, you're going to find a new Ability and desire to submit. Give up your rights. Give up um, uh, your, your need to have your way. Submit to God. Submit to others. And Paul says, out of reverence for Christ. It's not just this cold submission. It is a submission at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Where you look and you see the one who there was nailed for your sin. A spear through his side for your guilt. Bearing your shame to rescue you from what you deserve. And to give to you the life you could never have in, in, in God. And you, when you stand there at the foot of the cross and you see Jesus crucified for you. Loving you in that way. You can't help but submit. It's not about me. It's not about my way. I don't, I, don't, I don't need those things. Jesus, how do I live a life that honors, that, that shows reverence and respect for who you are and what you've done for me? That's the life of submission that the Holy Spirit will lead us in. You see, the Spirit will always point us to Jesus, won't he? The Spirit will, he's a spotlight that always shines on Jesus. The life that the Spirit is calling us to live is a life that flows from the foot of the cross, flows from what Jesus Christ has done, flows from, from where he now reigns at the right hand of God, flows from the fact that he's coming again. And, and, and as the Spirit makes us cognizant of Jesus, we're going to find our life is being changed. And we'll be able to humble ourselves. We'll be able to submit by the transformative power of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is a spirit-filled life. It's a life under the influence, under the power of the Spirit. 
Don't, don't be deceived that there's another way to be a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Believing in doctrine doesn't make you a Christian. The Spirit makes you a Christian. Where the Spirit is, there is life. And God gives His Holy Spirit to those who ask. We're going to be looking at that tonight. God gives His Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so maybe if you're wondering this morning why your Christian life doesn't really work, why you're going through the motions, but there's really there's nothing underneath. There's no real desire for God. There's no real joy in your faith. Honestly, you're not really that convicted about your sin. Um, It's just, there's nothing underneath the veneer. Well, friend, there's an answer for that. The Spirit has been given exactly for that. Ask for the Holy Spirit and, and open your Bible. And begin to read and and ask the Spirit to teach you, to lead you, to direct you, to show you Jesus in a way that you actually love Him and know Him and want to live your life for Him. The Spirit has been given to that end. And the Word is, again, what He's going to use. This is God's desire for us. This is His will for us, to be people who live by the Spirit. I want to close with a short excerpt from Sam... Uh, Daniel's testimony. I did not ask for Sam's permission, but I'm sure it'll be fine since it's already public information. So, but I thought this was exactly what we're talking about. Sam grew up in a Christian home, all the blessings of that, but had a significant time. uh, Was it during high school when you were doing the camp, Sam? Yeah. So he's working at a summer camp, Christian summer camp, and listen, just what here's what he says. It was there going to chapel every day for months. That's a lot of this going to chapel every day for months, that I started to see what the church and what my faith could do in the world. Despite all of us workers being deeply flawed and sinful, we were all slipping and sliding our way to something that was truly life-giving, joyous, and hopeful. That's the Spirit. Salvation was received, friendships were made, and the temptations that had eaten away at me did not hold the same power next to the awesome might and forgiveness of God the Almighty. That's the Holy Spirit. This experience showed me the true peace that comes from confessing your sins and submitting to God's will. And I still carry that joy. Friends, that's what the Spirit does. So that all the glory goes to Him. May God be doing it in our life. Amen. God, our Father, I thank you for Jesus who gave his life so the Spirit could be poured out. And Father, forgive us for taking the Spirit for granted. Forgive us for not seeking to live under the influence and power of the Spirit. Father, I pray you that the Spirit would wake us up so that, Lord, we would have a new hunger for the things of God, a new joy in God himself. A new freedom to say no to temptation, a new a power to, to humble ourselves. Father, we want to be people whose lives are marked by the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit, so that there's gratitude in our heart and from our mouth, and there's a song that's welling up from our heart. And we are a people marked then by the presence of God. Oh, Holy Spirit, do your precious work. Forgive us for all the times that we've grieved you.
Do your precious work in our life and in the church. To the glory of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. The Spirit is given to give us the mind of Christ. We're going to pray that together. Let's stand and sing together. May the mind of Christ, my Savior. the benediction. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.